My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Hello and welcome to the morning meeting podcast. My name is Mandy Zucker and I'm the host of this show. Today I'm going to be talking with Taylor Marie Young. She's a senior at Penn State University um, in the College of Education and the Shires Honors College. She's majoring in secondary English education with minors in English and education policy studies with an additional certificate uh, just for her you know, spare time in uh, teaching English as a second language. She's quite an impressive young woman. Uh, together with her peers, Taylor has created two programs in response to the pandemic, SOAR and Restore, which we're going to talk about during our interview. She's also the president of the College of Education Undergraduate Student Council, and she works on Dean Rain Spearling's research team. Um, she's also an undergraduate research ambassador. She is um, really uh, grateful to be a student in the College of Education, which she generally refers to as her home. Taylor also enjoys hiking and walking, running, drinking coffee, reading, and spending time with friends and loved ones. I hope you enjoy this interview. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Well, I am very excited to talk to you. I saw an article written about a program as I was doing some research about how to support grieving students on college campuses, and your organization came came up on my Google search, and I was super impressed, and I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about the work that you're doing at Penn State um, in your specific program and, and how you feel like that's been helpful to students on your campus. So before we even talk about the actual program, mm -hmm. um, why don't you tell me, like, why did you even think something was needed to support some of the students in your class? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that, you know, when the pandemic became a reality, um, it became pretty clear that students were struggling with mental health um, and also social connection. Um, I was hearing from my peers, and I'm also pretty connected with the student body in the College of Education at Penn State because I'm the um, president of the Education Student Council for undergraduates. So I was hearing like a lot of conversation from students about um, them having trouble like finding resources or re really not knowing about the things that I thought were pretty obviously um, available at Penn State. But then that became pretty evident to me that um, students weren't feeling super connected to things. Um, and also, I just remember hearing when the pandemic first became a reality, a lot of students were talking about how overwhelmed they were, um, stressed out and tired. And I was hearing those things like more, like, I think those are pretty common things to hear in college because of finals week, midterms, things like that. Um, and people are busy, but it was just a lot of that discourse happening. Um, so I just felt like there was definitely some sort of need for um, programming or a better way that like the education student council could support students in the College of Education. Excellent. So you saw this need. And then what did you do? Like, how do you just go about 
creating a program and and how did you decide what you were going to be focusing on? Yeah, so I think, so my approach with leading the Education Student Council is taking advantage of like the team. We have a great team. And so I really wanted to make sure that it was like a collective approach that we were taking um, to thinking about programming and also responding to what students in the College of Education needed. So I didn't want to create programming that I thought students needed. I wanted to help facilitate programming that would benefit students directly based off of what they needed. Um, so our council was working closely with the deans in the College of Education as well, um, because our administrative team is very uh, keen on getting student feedback and student in input. Um, so when they were planning for the fall semester, they had reached out to the Education Student Council and requested that we kind of help facilitate some um, student focus groups. So we did that over the summertime, and there was a lot of students who volunteered to participate, and there were we were in Zoom for a few hours with two different groups, um, and it was great because we got some really great, honest, um, meaningful feedback from students about what went well, what didn't go well in the spring semester, and what they needed, um, and there were two major themes that came up in the focus group conversations, um, the need for more social connection but also the need to learn more about different resources, both in the college, but also just at Penn State at large. And when you say resources, what kind of resources were people looking for? Mental health resources, academic resources? Yeah, students were looking for um, more mental health resources, also financial resources, and just uh, different avenues to reach out if they were struggling. I think mental health was definitely a huge priority, um, something that came up a lot when we were um, and something that's still coming up, actually. I was going to say, I think that um, mental health has always been an issue on college campuses. And if there can be a silver, li silver lining to this pandemic, it's that we are becoming way more aware of the need for mental health support on college campuses. So there's probably more of a need now than there had been before, but there had always been an unmet need. So um, I'm glad that you know, it was highlighted. Um, yeah, I agree. And also just being able to talk more openly about mental health too, and kind of destigmatize it and just normalize that, like we're human beings and that like we all have struggles and we should be able to talk about that with like our peers or, or just reach out to different people in the college who are there to support us. Mm -hmm. So how did you think you can do that through a, some kind of a club at school? Yeah. So, I mean, we thought that as students, we could organize a program. Um, so we ended up coming up with a program um, called Soar and Restore uh, with the Education Student Council. And we wanted this program to be focused on the two major themes that we saw come up in um, the student focus group conversation. So the Soar program is an acronym. Um, it stands for Student Opportunities, Advocacy, and Resources. And then Restore is not an acronym. It's just as it is, Restore. Um, so Soar programming um, was more focused on bringing in like guest speakers who could talk about different resources on campus. Um, and then the Restore program, uh, that was led by our council members in the Education Student Council. So we organized like fun programming, like um, playing Pictionary. Um, but we provided that program every week on Thursdays um, for an hour. So we would provide it on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Um, and we actually ended up opening the Zoom room a half hour early every week because we learned that, well, there were definitely a lot of students in quarantine uh, because students got COVID, unfortunately. So students were eating dinner alone and feeling lonely. So we thought, oh, we could just like 
that this was actually suggested by one of our council members that we open the Zoom room early and just kind of have a space to talk and hang out. Um, and that was great because a consistent group of people showed up every week. That's great. I always, I mean, I wondered how, I don't know if popular is the right word, but we'll say popular, um, a program like that would be where students are online all day long. So to then say, okay, now we're going to eat dinner online too. Uh, what was the response like for things like that? Were you surprised by the response? Yeah, I think I was definitely surprised by the response because I was worried that people wouldn't want to be online for an extra hour a week just because of what you had mentioned, that we were already online so much. But um, just given the circumstances with COVID, I think people wanted a low-stakes environment um, where they could just interact and not have to be in a class setting. Um, so that's actually some of the feedback that we got. I can talk a little bit about that. So our SOAR programming, we had guest speakers like come in and talk about COVID policies for the Center for Gender and Sexual Diversity. Um, we had different campus recreation representatives come in. We had, um, in our College of Education, we have a clinic called the HER Clinic, and that's um, free mental health resources. So we had the clinic supervisor come in and talk about that. Um, but we learned from students that uh, the SOAR programming was a little too much like class uh, because they felt like some of the presentations were, um, well, they were they were very in-depth presentations and they felt that the information was definitely really beneficial. Um, but I think students were more seeking social connections. We had better attendance at the restore programming. Um, so when our council met over break, actually, uh, we talked about how we could better meet the needs of students and um, focus more on the social interaction. Sounds like they want the, even the SOAR program to be a little bit more interactive. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's good feedback and we can definitely think about how to facilitate that in the future too. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that, I mean, one of the things that I love about this program is that it came from students. And I think so many universities are struggling right now to figure out like, what do our students need? And they forget to ask the students. And you created a program based on what they were saying that they needed. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think it's really amazing too, uh, just from like the perspective of like being the president of the student council too, because I mean, this was a huge team effort. Um, like I didn't create this alone. We had all of our members engaged. And so for example, to see um, the executive council members um, find different uh, resources on campus and connect with um, the guest speakers and engage in that planning, I think was really meaningful for me. But then also seeing how our general council members who were um, not in like a official leadership role, um, but they helped organize the restore programming. So seeing, for example, like we had a couple new members that got together over break and, you know, they made a little group me and they had a meeting like they did all the organization and the planning um, by themselves. And now they're they have better social connections because of that, too. So I think it's meaningful for me knowing that. Like it was definitely organized by students for students. That's great. So your, this program, the Soar and Restore is for students in the College of Education. Yes. Right? Um, so obviously that's, you know, amazing for those students. Um, not so amazing for the other students. I'm just wondering about your own perspective about, you know, what has been helpful other than this program um, you could probably speak to things that are happening at Penn State, but 
you know, or other things that you've heard about other colleges your friends are going to or whatever that you feel like have been helpful to students right now? Yeah, so one thing I think a lot of college of education students who were in the state college area could probably agree with me on this, that we really appreciated how our college prioritized in-person activities, like safe in-person activities. They were always compliant with CDC and university guidelines. Um, But I think the opportunity to be in person and take a break from screen time was really important. So um, for example, we had so many classes that were offered in either a fully in-person or a hybrid format. And there were always options available for students who weren't in a place to return to campus too. So I think that like access to flexible course modes was really helpful for students. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that my course schedule was mainly in person. Um, and then also I think opening up um, study spaces and um, where that was possible was also really helpful. I actually was on campus almost every single day. And I know that there were a lot of first year students who took advantage of that as well. Um, and there were always cleaning supplies available. Um, and then also just like non-academic programs in person were helpful. So our student council worked with the deans and we provided some grab and go events where students could literally grab some food and a drink, meet our deans, uh, say hi to student council members, come with their friends and then leave. <laughs> so we couldn't have any sort of gathering, um, but we could have a grab and go safe event. So I think that's been helpful. It's really creative ideas. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I certainly know for myself, I just thought like, oh my God, like there's nothing, you know, how are we going to make this work? There's just no way to, uh, to foster connection, but, but it's been so impressive to hear about some of the things that people are doing to be creative and continue that. Yeah, for sure. And we have other amazing like College of Education specific uh, student organizations too. And I've been super impressed by their creativity as well. Like I want to highlight, so we have a student Pennsylvania State Education Association, and that's kind of like a pre-teacher union um, because the Pennsylvania State Education Association is our union for Pennsylvania teachers. Mm -hmm. So they organized like a Bob Ross paint party And it was super cool. I mean, I saw that they had a sign-up form and then they distributed materials and they had like a pickup location. And I'm sure that they mailed materials to any student who couldn't pick them up too. I think students have been super mindful about that, like making sure that we're engaging with students who aren't in person too. Um, And then they all jumped on Zoom together and like just did a paint party. And it was super cool to see on Instagram. Like I'm not in that organization, but I loved seeing it. Yeah. Um, And it looks like they had a blast. So (laughs) (laughs) that's great. That's so creative. And, you know, I think it's also important to think about some of the non-traditional ways that we can be supportive. Like, you know, when you think about a paint party, you're not necessarily thinking about how to support someone's mental health, but it is supporting someone's mental health because painting can be an outlet for so many people. Um, So, you know, therapy is one way. And I know that you mentioned the HER Center at Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always, you know, a huge proponent of therapy. Um, but there are also so many other things that we can be doing to make sure that we're taking good care of ourselves. And a painting party or dinner together at 630 before a meeting are some of those ways. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, um, like we have a University Park Undergraduate Association, which is basically our um, university-wide like student government for undergrads. And I think they were really mindful too of like thinking about how to use art 
to support students. I remember they did a movies for mental health Mm -hmm. night and they partnered with um, Art with Impact. I wasn't able to go, but I made sure our council shared that information because it was super awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've also been helpful in providing um, some financial assistance to students. Like I saw that they would give out, they would just post coupons for free um, lift service tickets if students need to go, needed to go to the local airport. Um, right. So I think there's definitely like really awesome grassroots things that students are doing for each other. Yep. And all of those things are so connected because, you know, when we are struggling financially, um, it's a huge emotional burden as well. So, and so many people are right now, so many, you know, uh, parents have lost jobs and students have lost jobs and, um, and colleges are struggling financially. So financial aid might be more difficult to come by. And that really can affect, you know, that, that takes up so much of your mental energy that it really can impact, you know, academics as well as so many other things. So it's so important to think about, you know, the whole person. And it's great to hear things like that. Yeah, for sure. And just maybe one more thing that I could highlight too. We have a student-run food pantry on campus. So that's been really awesome to see like how they've pivoted and made sure that they're staying open for students who are in need. Mm-hmm. And one of our um, leaders in our council organized like a, f- a food drive. So our um, student council led a food drive for the, it's called the Lions Pantry because our mascot's Nittany Lion. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. That's great. This episode is brought to you by Inner Harbor, providing grief support to students and those that support them. Find us at www.inner-harbor.org. So tell me just a little bit about you. How have you been doing during the pandemic? And what have been some of the things that maybe you found to be the most supportive to you? Yeah, I think it's been just like a roller coaster, honestly. I think I'm a generally very positive person. So I definitely try to um, find like hope and practice gratitude for the things that I have. And I think that's been very helpful. But at the same time, like I have to be honest, it's definitely really hard. Um, I've found that my positivity has definitely been tested in this time and it's definitely harder to stay positive. And I've been thinking about like, maybe it's not always the most healthy thing to stay. Like, I don't want toxic positivity, like, cause sometimes it is really important. I think to be like realistic about like the situation that we're in and like honor that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think loneliness has definitely been a struggle just because I live alone. So I've been really grateful for um, like in-person interactions that are safe. Yep. Um, going for walks with people have been, has been really helpful for me and the student council too. I mean, they're definitely, I was connected with them almost three days a week um, during the semester. So that was really helpful for me to have like consistent social interaction. So you happen to be somebody who's clearly very involved in school and in extracurriculars and things. And not everyone is, but it sounds like, especially now, I mean, in some ways you think it's harder to be involved when everything's remote, but it might be even more important to find something that, you know, not only is something maybe that you feel passionate about, but also a small group of people that you're all working together and, you know, you get to see them on a consistent basis and, and you have, you know, goals and things that you're working on together. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, that's a really good point. Like for student council, that's something that our leadership team was thinking about when we were accepting new members was, you know, how do we make 
this application process more accessible because we know that students are going to want meaningful interaction right now. Um, we had a record number of applicants this year too. Um, oh. And we accepted a rec record number of students too, because, you know, well, we had awesome applicants, one, but two, like we also wanted to make sure that we were meeting a need. Um, but I think outside of student organizations, something that's been helpful is professors who've been like really fostering like a sense of community and classroom spaces too. I've heard that a lot from like college of education students and my peers. So can you give me an example, like how are professors doing that? Yeah, of course. So one that comes to mind is like consistent use of breakout rooms. I had one class and it's very positive, so I don't mind shouting her out. Um, her name's Dr. Charlotte Land, but she taught one of my classes a semester and we would always start class with like a free write. So we'd all just hop on Zoom and um, write for about like five to seven minutes. And it was always a check-in, like super open-ended, like, how are you doing? What do you need? And then we'd have like an open space where people could share that. And we all felt super comfortable with one another so we could do that. And we had the same breakout room groups every week too. So it became really nice because you're like, okay, I know I'm going to go into my breakout room with the people. And we might be a little bit off topic sometimes, but that's okay. And I think our, our professor like definitely honored that. And um, she was always transparent with how she was feeling too. So I think she modeled like vulnerability in a, in a difficult time. So important. I um, was just talking to someone recently about how, you know, I think so many, especially adults have had this mindset for years and years and years about leave your personal life at home um, and then walk through the door of work and, you know, put on your work hat. Um, I think it's been much harder to do that. And in some ways, I think that's a good thing because um, we never really leave our personal lives at home and come to work. We all carry with us our whole selves. And trying to deny that um, does take up a lot of space in our brains and in our soul. So not to say that teachers should be sharing, you know, every single detail of their lives with their students, but but being real and saying, you know, I'm, today's a tough day and um, we're all going through this together. So I think it is really important to model for uh, the people that we're trying to support um, some vulnerability. Yeah. And I mean, going off of that too, I think she also modeled like really great um, mindsets to adopt and like strategies to use too. I remember in our, we used Canvas as like our learning management system for Penn State. And on our Canvas page, she had created like a Bitmoji classroom and there were hyperlinks and there were different hyperlinks to like different articles about self-care, some yoga videos, like making sure that we're tracking like how much water we're drinking every day, like basic things that like we might just overlook because it's a very traumatic time right now. Yeah. But she also... I remember uh, Dr. Land had shared something once that like kind of stuck with me. And I think some other students was that like, it's okay to feel more than one thing at one time. Because sometimes when we were talking about how we were feeling about the semester, we would just always revert to overwhelmed and like, we weren't really processing how we were feeling. So it was really helpful to have a professor who kind of facilitated like, let's like dig that Let's dig into that. What what does it mean to feel overwhelmed? Like, what are some of the underlying feelings there? Right. And also, I'm feeling overwhelmed, and I'm also really excited about this thing I'm doing. So yeah. it's okay to have both of those feelings at the same time. Yeah, for sure. That's great. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about the Counseling Center? Have you felt like more kids are using that? Is it a resource that's pretty readily available? 
Um, I think a lot of schools struggle with having enough counselors available to students and they limit sessions and have waiting lists and things like that. How is that going at your school? Yeah, so we have, um, so the HERT clinic is specific to the College of Education. So I want to make sure that I highlight our Mm -hmm. university-wide services. That one is called CAPS, um, Counseling and Psychological Services. Mm -hmm. And I know that they offer a lot of resources, but the sessions typically are, you have a max of about five, I think. Um, And then there's some open groups. Like I know that there's a women's group. There's different um, therapy groups or like drop-in self-care sessions. I know Penn State also developed an app you at PSU where you can kind of track your own um, mental and physical well-being. But I've definitely heard from students that it's kind of, it gets to be difficult to access CAPS just because, you know, limited resources and there's so many students at Penn State. Um, But the HERT clinic is absolutely amazing. I know that like a lot of students use it and the demand is definitely high there as well. But the way it works is that So it's supervised by different faculty in like counselor education. And then the counselors are actually um, master's and doctoral students in our counselor education program. Mm -hmm. Um, So while they're counseling, they're completing their practicum requirements for their degrees, which is really cool because it's like a learning experience for them. But like then they're also providing an important need for the community as well. So I know that the College of Education has removed some like I don't want to say barriers, but they've made it easier to access on the HER clinic for College of Ed students. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting a referral through our counseling and psychological services on campus, College of Education students can email them directly now and request services. And they actually stayed open throughout the summer too and provided free counseling for students. And they pivoted really quickly too when we made the quick transition to remote learning. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs in providing counseling in a remote setting, but I know that there's like a lot more security measures to think about and like, how do you provide like meaningful counseling? So I thought they did a great job of pivoting quickly. I mean, they were able to still provide counseling in the spring semester. That's great. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be honest, like I've taken advantage of the HER clinic since I was a first year student and my experience has been amazing with all the counselors. So I'm always recommending it to my, <laughs> to my peers. I'm like, go, you should go. Good for you. And thank you for being honest about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else that you feel like we should know or, you know, that you would like to highlight or uh, challenges or struggles or anything else? I think mainly just that. Um, Like, I kind of want to honor, like, the student engagement. I've just been super inspired by students. Uh, I think I'm always inspired by my peers because they're always doing really meaningful work on campus. But I think in the past year, like, since the pandemic became a reality, I've really seen, like, how hard students work and and their creativity and and problem solving, too. Um, I think seeing the ways that people are pivoting to provide, like, meaningful programming for their peers and also just like a true commitment to the work that they were already doing is just really apparent um, right now. For example, we have this student-run philanthropy called Fawn, um, and it raises money for childhood cancer. And normally they have a dance marathon in person, and it's huge, and there's a lot of people in person, and they shifted to a virtual environment. Like they didn't give up on the program, they didn't give up on the event or anything. They're still raising money for childhood cancer. So I just kind of want to end that like I'm really inspired by the work that students are doing and I 
try to hold on to that too and remind myself whenever I'm struggling that like, okay, I have a community of people here that I could reach out to and we could do this. Yep. You are doing it. I am (laughs) super impressed. So thank you. Thank you for highlighting that. Thank you for doing all the work that you're doing. And thank you for talking with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I loved learning about the programs that Taylor's doing at Penn State. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Next week, we're going to talk to Kim Hamer. In 2009, she watched her 44-year-old husband take his last breath. She had three children under the age of 12 at the time. And while her husband had cancer and after he died, they were amazed and humbled by the creative and thoughtful ways that their friends, family, and co-workers supported them all. And Kim started calling these actions acts of love. And she's done some amazing things with acts of love in a way to give back and show her love and support for others that have done these acts for her and her family. So we're going to talk more about exactly what she's doing next week on the show. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.